into that, huh? We did forget to, uh, unfortunately, mention that there was uh, actually one more a death, unfortunately, and that uh, is Clayton Harrow. He died, I believe, a week ago, and we had just uh, actually celebrated uh, his father's life probably several weeks ago. So, again, our, our condolences and prayers go out to the Harrow family, uh, especially Dottie during this ride. The most famous person in the world is none other than Jesus Christ. More books, more songs, more poetry have been written about him than any other person in history. And the obvious question is, is who was Jesus? And some have said that Jesus was an Italian, and they give three reasons for this. Number one, he talked with his hands. Number two, he had wine with every meal. And number three, he used olive oil. Others say that Jesus was black, and again, they give three reasons. Number one, he called people brother. Number two, he liked gospel. And number three, he couldn't get a fair trial. (laughs) There are those that actually believe that Jesus might have been a woman, and they give three reasons for this. Number one, he had to feed a crowd at a moment's notice when there was no food. Number two, he kept trying to get a message across to a bunch of men who simply just couldn't get it. And number three, even when he was dead, he had to get up because there was more work for him to do. (laughs) And finally, there are those that believe that Jesus was, in fact, Jewish, and they present three reasons for this. Number one, he went into his father's business. Number two, he lived at home until he was 30. And number three, he was sure his mother was a virgin, and his mother was sure that he was God. And so this morning, with that, we are going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, which actually is the unveiling of Jesus. That's what it means, the unveiling of Jesus. So we really want to know, you really want to know what Jesus is like, then you will find that in the book of Revelation. You get an incredible picture of him in Revelation chapter 1. And we also, in Revelation, see what true worship is and where we are going to go, what awaits us. We also, by the way, see Jesus' plans for the earth. So the book of Revelation is really the unveiling of what is to come and also what is. And so this morning I have entitled the message, we can continue our study in the book of Revelation, I've entitled it, The Mystery of God, The Mystery of God. Father, I just thank you for the gift of humor. I thank you for the worship that has taken place up to this point. And now as we really turn and look at your word, I just ask, Holy Spirit, you're just welcome here. You've drawn every single person here. And they're here for a reason, and I pray that they don't miss that reason. I pray that there's not a person here that will walk out not knowing you in a personal way. I also pray that we are going to walk out of here different than we walked in. That we are going to have a deeper faith and a deeper hope as a result of what we have sung and what we have heard. And I'm just asking this in your precious name. Amen. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire he had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land 
and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again. Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. In Revelation chapter 10, we see that we are introduced to a mighty angel, a powerful angel, and uh, Obviously, there has been a lot of speculation as to who this mighty, this powerful angel might be in Revelation 10. Some actually believe that this mighty angel is Jesus himself. I believe that to be incorrect, although the angel seems in many ways like Jesus. But I think there's one real clue as to why this angel is not, in fact, Jesus Christ. And that little clue is found in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1, and in the Greek word alos. And again, John wrote these words in Revelation 10.1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down. When you see the word another, it's the Greek word alos. And alos generally means another of the same kind. So what John is saying is that this powerful angel is another angel of the same kind of of the same previous angels that we saw blowing the six trumpets. So I therefore am absolutely convinced that this is a powerful angel, but it's not Jesus. And I actually believe that this angel, this powerful angel, is none other than Michael the archangel because his name literally means who is like God. Who is like God. You remember the context of this, and I think this is another reason why it is Michael the archangel. The context is we have just seen the believers raptured. The church was raptured up. And we see them, in fact, in Revelation chapter 7, in heaven celebrating with the Lamb. And as I said before, God never leaves or does not have a presence on planet Earth. And so what we see him do is he immediately seals 144,000 Jewish men, men who are virgins, men who are celebrate. I call them 144,000 little Billy Grahams. And you know what these 144,000 Billy Grahams are doing? I think they're preaching the very message that John the Baptist preached 2,000 years ago. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I told you a couple of weeks ago, and it's hard for a lot of people to believe, but did you know that most of the Jews around the world are atheistic or agnostic? That's true. The vast majority of the Jews around the world are atheistic and agnostic. And the reason why is because of the tremendous persecution that they've experienced over the centuries, 
But even more than that, it was the Holocaust was kind of like the final nail in the coffin. They said, how could there be a God? A God that cares about us and allows the Holocaust. And they become deeply embittered. And these 144,000 Billy Grahams, after the church is raptured, are going to be running around all the world. And they are going to proclaim the message of John the Baptist. And they're going to be telling these Jews in particular, you need to repent. You need to repent of your rebellion against God. You need to repent of your hardness of heart and all of your anger. And you need to turn back to God. And you need to prepare yourself because your Messiah is coming and he is going to establish his righteous reign on earth very, very soon. So I believe the mighty angel is none other than Michael the archangel. And you know what's interesting? Do you know what angel in the Bible, what angel in the Bible actually is associated with the Jews. He's called the protector of the Jews. It's none other than Michael the archangel. In fact, if you look at Daniel in chapter 12 in verse 1, we are told this. In the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, at that time, that is the time of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, that is the Jews will arise. Isn't that interesting? So I believe that this mighty angel that you see in Revelation chapter 10 is none other than Michael the archangel. He's arising. You know why he's arising? Because I'll tell you, in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, you're going to see Satan and the Antichrist begin to persecute the Jews as never before. If you thought the Holocaust was bad... The last three and a half years of the tribulation are going to be a tremendous time of tribulation and persecution for the Jews. And Michael is going to be that protector. And we're going to see about this more in Revelation chapter 12. Now in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 3, we are told that Michael the archangel, who I believe is this powerful angel, he gives a loud shout. And we are told the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, John was about to write, but I heard... A voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, human curiosity wants to know, what in the world did those seven thunders say, right? I mean, it's almost as if God is playing a cruel joke and he's saying, I've got a secret and I'm not going to tell you, nanner, nanner, nanner. I mean, no, it it really seems this way. Why in the world would God even have the seven thunders speak if John can't write it down and let us know what the seven thunders were saying? And I think the short answer is this. I think the short answer is that it is a test. You do realize that God tests us. And I want you to know, ultimately, every time God tests us, the test is this. Will I trust God? Will you trust God? Ultimately, when God tests us, it comes down to, will I or you trust him? Now, some people get angry when they hear that God tests. But the reality is, if you read this book, it is crystal clear that God, in fact, does test us. In fact, we are told this in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 3. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold but God tests the heart. In the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29 and verse 17, David prayed this prayer. Here's part of his prayer. I know, my God, that you test the heart 
and are pleased with integrity. Now, there are many reasons why God tests us, but I ultimately believe it always comes down to this. The reason why God tests us is because he loves you and he loves me. He loves us so much. Now, listen to this. He loves us so much that he wants us to grow in our faith and in our trust of him. And I'm not sure some of you are saying, well, why is God so interested in whether we grow or not? And I'm going to give you three reasons why God is interested in your growth. And this is how much he loves you. And this is how much he loves me. Do you realize that when you grow, when I grow spiritually, that is when you begin to experience more joy, more contentment, and more peace in your life. How many here are looking for more joy? and more contentment, and more peace. I'm telling you, the world is looking for that, and you know how you get it? By growing. It's the only way that you're going to get it. The second reason why God tests us, the second reason why God is interested in you growing and me growing is because he can give us more to do. The more you grow and the more I grow, the more opportunities he can give us to glorify him. The third reason why God is interested in your growth and my growth is when I grow and you grow, you become a blessing to others. Do you know that when you grow spiritually, you actually become more likable? No, no. How many here are having marriage problems? Most often the problem is immaturity. You show me a person who's growing and I'll show you a person moving in love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. You see, this is what I call a win-win-win situation. And I pray to God, and I pray it for myself, but I pray to God that your declaration, that your declaration will ultimately be the same as Job. But before I read that, my guess is this. My guess is that there are some here this morning who are finding themselves, you know, in the desert of trial. My guess is that many of us this morning are experiencing a testing. Has it ever occurred to you that God wants to use you in some special way, but he needs to prepare you? Has it ever occurred to you that the God of the universe wants to use you? No, I really believe that God wants to use us far more than we believe that. But before we can, we need to be tested. Now, I know we don't like testing, but we need to be tested. So I'm going to give you some advice as I've given myself advice. Do not resist the testing. Do not resist the desert of testing that creates pain in your life. In fact, here's what I suggest that you do. That you make a covenant with God in yourself. That you determine in your heart that when you experience a test, I am going to pass that test. I am going to pass that test. By being obedient to God no matter what. I am going to pass the test. I am going to be obedient to God. And now I want you to hear what Job said. Job said this. I love these words. And Job knows about testing, by the way. He said, when he, God, has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Don't you want to be golden? I'll tell you what. More than anything else, even though I experience a fiery trial right now, I want to come forth as gold. And there's everything in me that wants to quit. But let me tell you, if you really want to be used by God, and he does want to use you, you've got to go through the the desert, the stretching pains of testing. 
Now put yourself for a moment, would you, in the Apostle John's sandals. You know, the Apostle John, because this is really a test, I believe, for the Apostle John. He has just heard things. He's heard the seven thunders, and that's probably the Holy Spirit. He's heard the seven thunders, and they have spoken to him things that no human being has ever heard. I mean, this guy's got information that none of us know about. And God says, you can't tell anybody what you just heard. You cannot even write it down. What would the test be? What would the temptation be? You know, there was this preacher. And one Sunday morning, he woke up rather early and he looked out and it was a bright, beautiful, sunny day. And he thought, you know what? This would be a great day for golf. So he calls up the associate pastor and he says, you know, I'm sick and I don't think I'll be able to preach this Sunday. You think you could handle the preaching chores? And the associate pastor says, no problem, I'll handle it. Preacher gets dressed, grabs his clubs, throws them into the trunk, and he drives about 50 miles away so you know that he won't be spotted and seen by any of his parishioners or or congregation members who are playing hooky like himself. He gets to the first tee. He tees up that ball. Now there's an angel next to God, and the angel says, God, are you going to let him get away with this? And God said very calmly, don't worry about it. I got this thing under control. You know, the pastor kind of warms up, takes a few practice shots, and then, bam! I mean, he probably hits the best drive he's ever hit in his entire life. The ball sails about 290 yards, bounces before the green, and rolls right into the cup. And it's, I mean, the pastor, it's like Rocky, baby! I mean, he's excited, he's ecstatic, it's his first hole in one. And the angel cries out to God, why did you let him do that? And God very calmly says, because... Who's he going to tell? <laughs> and I want you to understand something. No, no, listen to this. I want you to understand something. The Apostle John has the exact same problem. No, no, he's heard. He, he's got something better than a hole in one. He's heard incredible things, great things, things of grandeur that no human being has ever heard, and God said, you can't tell anyone. And I have my reasons, John, for telling you not to write these things down. Do you realize how hard that would be? No, do you realize how hard that would be? I mean, this is a real, real test, and it takes a real man of character. You know what I would do? It would take a real man of character in our day and time to say, you know, I'm going to write these things down in a book. I'm going to have myself a bestseller. I mean, can you imagine the title of the book? I mean, you could entitle the book, The Secret Things of God. It would become a bestseller. But as far as I know, no, no, listen, John never does it. As far as I know, John never tells anybody what he heard. He never writes it down. No, that is a man. That is a real person of character. And I believe God blessed him for that. And he certainly blessed God and other people. Now, I don't think, though, that God is just testing, by the way, John here. I think he's actually testing us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples this on the night that he was betrayed. Listen to this. John chapter 16 and verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Do you know what the challenge is for us as believers? The challenge for us as believers is to be 
content, to be content, listen to this now, with what God has given you, with the revelation that God has given you, and to trust him, to trust him when you so desperately want to know why something is happening in your life, or you want to know a certain piece of information, and God, the the heavens remain silent, because God in his infinite wisdom chooses to leave you in the dark. God demands obedience. God demands obedience to what you know. And by the way, I think one of the great reasons why we don't know a lot more is because we're not obedient to what we do know. You want to know more? You want to know more? You want to hear God? God says, then I want you to be obedient to what I have given you. But God also says, I want you to trust me. Because there's times I'm going to remain silent. And I have my reasons for remaining silent. And I want you to trust me in that. And I realize that that's a very, very difficult thing to quite do as a believer. Then the Apostle John writes these cryptic words. Revelation chapter 10, starting at verse 5. Skip, can you put those up? He says, and the angel I had seen standing, which I believe is Michael, on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it, and he said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced it to his servants, the prophet. Now, obviously, there is a lot, a lot of speculation as to what John means when he wrote, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it is not talking about something that is unsolved. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it is talking about something that was previously hidden and not fully understood. And the question is, what has been previously hidden and not fully understood? What is Michael the archangel actually talking about? And I think Michael knows exactly what he's talking about. I think he's referring back to the Hebrew prophet Daniel 2,500 years ago in Daniel in chapter 9. And in Daniel in chapter 9, we are given one of the greatest prophecies. I think it is probably the, the greatest prophecy in all of Scripture. It is the prophecy of the 77s. 77-year periods for a total of 490 years. And those first 69 sevens or 483 years actually run consecutively and were fulfilled in a very unique period of time that I want us to hit just for a second, just, just as a review. Skip, can you put up that map? So the question is, 77, 490 years till the end of the earth, this epoch of time. Everybody's wanting to know exactly what is Daniel talking about. And he said, by the way, this 490-year period would start when a decree was given that would not only allow the Jews to rebuild the temple, which Cyrus had done 
in about 530 BC, but more than that, that would allow them to rebuild the walls and the infrastructure. So it makes it a unique decree. And we don't have to guess when that decree was. We know it in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah in chapter 2. There the Persian king Artaxerxes gave the very decree that not only allowed the Jews and helped the Jews to finish rebuilding the temple, but also allowed them to rebuild the walls and the infrastructure of the city. And we know when that decree was, by the way, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verses 1 through 8. March 5th, 444 or 445 BC. And then he says, 69 sevens later, or 483 years later, or you can actually calculate the number of days, 173,880 days later. Comes out, by the way, and you see it right there on the screen to March 30th, 33 A.D. You know what that day was in March 30th, 33 AD? It was a Sunday. And that is the day that Jesus Christ came riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And people began to cry out, Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the God in the highest. And and the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't take it. And they said, Jesus, tell them to stop that. And Jesus said those, it just calls it the hair on my spine the back of my back to just rise up. And Jesus points to me, said, you, you, you are the religious leaders. You could have calculated. You should have known on this day that your Messiah would come into Jerusalem. You should have known that this was the day of peace and you missed it. You missed it. And then you know what Daniel says? Daniel says, because they missed it, after the revealing of the Messiah, he says two things will happen. The first thing that will happen is the Messiah will be cut off. That Hebrew word is violent. He will die a violent death. And and here's what I find interesting. Jesus, in fact, did die five days later after the triumphal entry. Skip, can you put this picture up? Remember the blood moons that I talk about? There are, you know, blood moons are a fascinating thing because, you know, a blood moon in and of itself isn't that rare as I talked about on Thursday night if you were here. But what is rare is when you have a full or total lunar eclipse, all right, creating the blood moon and you have four of them in a two-year period. We call that a tetrad. That's only happened four times in the last 2,000 years. And I want you to notice on the date that I gave you, do you see that? April 3rd, 33 AD, the crucifixion. There was a tetrad. That was the first set of blood moons, in fact, to show up. There would not be another set of blood moons, another tetrad, until 1949 in 1950 when Israel got her land back after almost 2,000 years. And then there was another set of blood moons, a tetrad. Notice they're falling in Passover tabernacles. Passover tabernacles, that's the key. This has only happened four times where you had blood moon Passover tabernacles, Passover tabernacles. The next time was 67, 68. And notice the Jews got Jerusalem back. And now the last set of tetrads is 2014, 2015, Passover tabernacles. And then 2000, March of 2015, or I mean April of 2015. And then The 28th of September, 2015, will be the last set of tetrad. And by the way, there's not going to be another set of blood moons for 500 years. Something very significant, I believe, just like the crucifixion, is going to happen then. But, Skip, put up the chart again, can you, for just a moment? 
So he says the Messiah will be cut off, and we see that the blood moons occurred with that. And then he says that the temple will be destroyed. And that happened 40 years later. The Jewish temple and Jerusalem, in fact, was incredibly ransacked and burned down. And I want you to see the first 69 weeks of the first 69 sevens, 483 years were consecutive. But notice that there has been a space between the 69 and the 70th week, right? Do you see that? And nobody knows how long it would have been or would be. In fact, it's almost been 2,000 years. And we call that the church age. And do you realize what everybody's waiting for now? If you're a believer, every believer is waiting for, when is that last seven, that 70th week, that last week, that last seven-year period going to occur? And that, by the way, is what the book of Revelation is about. Do you realize that the book of Revelation is about Daniel's last week, his last seven-year period. And this is where, this is why I want you to see the angel, who I believe is Michael, cried out, and he said, now at the blowing, at the completion of the seventh trumpet, he says that the mystery of God will be complete. Now, here's what's intriguing. I always tell you context matters. Do you know what precedes Daniel giving this prophecy of 70 weeks is verse 24. Listen to this now. Skip, do you have that? Put this up. Here's what preceded the giving of the 77s. He said, 77s, better 77-year periods for a total of 490 years are decreed for your people and your holy city. Now watch this. To number one, finish the transgression. That is to put an end to people rebelling against God and his ways. Number two, to put an end to sin. This is the promise of a new heart. A heart that desires to please God. Can you imagine, now can you imagine a world where every single person seeks to please God and to know God? Can you imagine a world where every single person is moving in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? That's what's being talked about here. Number three, to atone for wickedness. To atone means to make payment for. This pictures an entire world reconciled to God. This is an entire world at peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, the precious blood of Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, and when you trust in that blood, and you know that you're at peace with God, reconciled. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is talking about a time when the Messiah will finally be reigning on planet Earth, and there'll be total righteousness on planet Earth. The Bible calls that the millennium. And number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. This simply means to close the pages on human history. Do you know when the pages of human history will be closed? They will be closed at the conclusion of the seventh trumpet. At the end of the seventh trumpet, we're going to see Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his righteous kingdom. That is what is being talked about. And finally, number six, to avoid, anoint the most holy or It could be the most holy one. I think what's being referred to here, finally, the true Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords will finally be recognized, and he'll finally be worshipped for who and what he is. Therefore, now get this, when we talk about the mystery of God, the mystery of God being referred to are these six things. The mystery of God are these six six things. That's what Michael was talking about. And it was prophesied 2,500 years ago by Daniel. And it is finally, finally 
I think it's coming to our day and time finally going to be understood and fully accomplished when Jesus Christ comes back the second time and he establishes his righteous millennial reign. That is why I keep trying to say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the true hope. Jesus, Jesus ultimately is the one who can handle your problems. That's why I keep trying to point you to Jesus Christ. He is the true, true hope. And this is going to become clearer in the next weeks. You know, we're told this in the book of Isaiah. He's considered probably the greatest of the Hebrew prophets. And he wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 11. Skip, do you have those up? He talks about this, the millennial kingdom. Think about, this. Th- think about our world now and think about this time period. He says, one day the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child puts his hand, can you imagine that, in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine a day and time like that? That's what he's talking about. He says when the mystery of God, those six things in Daniel chapter 9, are completed in Jesus Christ, when he comes back, that's what the world's going to be like. Can you imagine living in that world? That's the hope that awaits us. See, that's where I'm putting my eggs. All my eggs are in that basket. I'll admit it. All my eggs are in that basket. Here's what I'm going to ask you as we close. Here's my, 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 you can call it the challenge. Where really is your hope? Honestly, where is your hope? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids that they might make something of themselves? Is it a promotion you might get? Is it maybe a a house? A car? No. Is it maybe that your football team will win today? No, I'm really asking, where really is your hope? See, now now here's how you know where your hope is. By your actions. Your actions really tell where your hope is. See, if your hope's really with Jesus, his coming back in the millennium, then nothing of this world really matters, does it, in the end? So you don't get that promotion, right? So you don't get the house. So you don't get the girl. So your team doesn't win. My hope isn't there. See, you can really tell where a person's hope is by what makes them angry and frustrated. You can really tell what a person's hope is by what makes them angry and frustrated. I always like to say to them, your hope is showing. But see, if your hope's here, it's sure. It's going to happen. That's what Revelation's about, giving us the right hope. Father, I can't help but read that and just my heart leap. to look for a world like that. I look and I see the news and whether it's ISIS in the Middle East
expressed here in our country, racial hatred, murders, hate, poverty, persecution, so much pain, so much injustice. And we cry out, why, when, when, and you say, when the mystery is finally completed, that will be the end of it. And then you will see my true righteous reign, a reign this world has never known. I pray that becomes our real hope here. It begins to build and just, just begins to grow within us to the point where this is what we are to share with the lost, the unbeliever. There's such a better world waiting through Jesus Christ. Amen.